Hey, Business MDS podcast listeners. Um, Simon and I are super excited today. We've been chatting to our guest um, since last year. I think it was November. But finally, we've managed to align all our diaries and we've got S with us on the show. Her full name's Esther Mukumbu. Um, but we've really just so excited to chat to her. So S, tell our guests a little bit about yourself and then... Our favorite question is, um, tell our guests something that not very many people would know about S. Oh, wow. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited. Um, I think, like you said, we've been meaning to chat, but finally getting the chance to chat now. So as introduced, um, S- Esther Mukumbo. Um, I'm, I don't know if that would be interesting. I'm 34 years old. I'm a mother of two. Um, I'm a co-founder of Markia Invest, and I also am a financial literacy enthusiast, uh, busy on Twitter. Probably known, most of you know me as Imu Kumbo on Twitter, talking about financial freedom and my journey to financial freedom. Um, interesting thing about me, Shu, um, <laughs> I've got two kids. Uh, maybe that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think just with us looking at your Twitter feed and how much you get up to it, uh, it's amazing that you managed to balance all of that and two kids. I was about to say financial freedom and two kids. Those are two things which don't uh, go well in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, so it's, tell us a little bit about your financial freedom. Um, obviously, your Twitter is filled with amazing tips, but tell us why you got so passionate about that and what it means to you. So for me, I, I come from a, I would call my, my parents as middle income. And the, originally the first uh, kids from, from their uh, generation to get a, a good education um, and their business failed. And I was in my final year of varsity, I sort of got uh, financially excluded um, and I had to plead my way back into UCT at the time. And I remember just thinking how important finances are. I mean, being financially excluded meant I couldn't really, you know, uh, finish my education. So it was then that it dawned on me just how I needed to take care of my finances. Um, I then started working and and funnily enough, I made my own um, uh, sort of financial blunders. And just being a working profession and working for, for the banking sector, you realize that sometimes you're in the sector, you think you know what managing finances is. And, and sometimes um, no one ever teaches you about managing your finances, what to look for. And you tend to just, you know, have this idea that you want to live a good life, be it, you know, in a, drive a nice car, live a nice house, but no one ever matches your dreams to your financial goals. And, and for me, this financial freedom is about prioritizing my, my finances to make sure they reflect my dreams. Um, so it's making sure the two align in a way that, you know, I want to, to live um, and be able to, to afford, you know, a nice holiday with my, with my family. And I need to make sure that my priorities reflect that. So just an example, um, we, we, we as a family, my husband and I sat down and, and decided, you know, what was important to us. Things like, you know, traveling, be able to travel once, once a year in an international trip is important to us. But something like driving two cars in our household doesn't make sense. So we then scaled down and said, okay, we can drive one car. We can have one car between the two of us. It's, it's difficult, yes, at times, because when you've got two kids, you're dropping off, picking up. But we say that wasn't important to us. So it was about re- realigning our financial goals 
um, to align with our dreams of being able to, you know, travel and invest for our kids. Um, because we, myself, I started off on a negative, like I mentioned, I was financially excluded. So when I started off working, I had a lot of debt and ensuring that I can do that for my kids. I can start a, play, a level playing field for my, for my kids. It doesn't have to take them so long um, to get to, you know, financial freedom as, 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 as long as it took me to realize, you know, how to manage my finances. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I think um, I just want to chat quickly because you, you chatted about it quite often, your goals and your dreams. So when you guys formulated your goals and your dreams, I can obviously see for you it's quite important that you and your husband aligned on them. Do you guys write these goals down? Do you write the dreams down? How do you guys, um, do you both have the same dreams and goals? Tell us a little bit about those. So we're quite different in our approach. Um, I'm one of those conservative, I always say it's because of what I've been through <laughs> that I'm very conservative when it comes to my finances and this very, you know, um, outgoing, if we have money, we have money, let's do this. And it was sort of finding our balance between the two and realizing that we can have, you know, uh, different outlooks, but we can have common goals. So I think it was constant communication and 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 sitting down and saying, okay, what are your goals? What are your what are your goals financially? What are your dreams? And what are my goals? And what are my goals financially? And sitting together and then sort of having that discussion and common ground and saying, okay, there's things that we have in common. For example, our kids. We know we want to set them up financially, but what does that look like? Let's let's discuss what does that look like. Um, we want to travel as a couple. Um, what does this look like for us uh, practically? What can we do? What can we do practically on a monthly basis that reflects these goals and dreams that we have? And um, it, it takes discussion, but I think it's something that as you get older, as you grow older together, because we've been together for eight years, so it's become a bit more, it's become better than in the beginning. But I think that open communication for us was was very key and writing it down. So we do have, we do have those goals to say in five years time, this is where we want to be. I mean, our five year goals um, five years ago or three to four years ago when we started, our five-year goal was wanted to have a paid-up car. We wanted to have um, short-term debt, you know, fully paid up and then only have our, our, our property as one of the, the, the financial, big financial debts that we have. And in five years, we've progressed and we'd mark ourselves to say, okay, how far are we? What can we do? What can we change? Um, so we've, we've managed to do that. We're now only left with a, with a bond as an example. And, and those are the goals that we've put in place for ourselves. Brilliant. I actually wanted to go go back because uh, there, there might be something that a lot of our listeners will ask. So it's kind of, you know, you, you pursued the studies being on like the, the back foot, if you could call it that. Um, and you still decided to, from what I understand, you know, go through, uh, you know, take a, a student loan, finish your studies and now embark on this um, financial freedom. But some people might argue and say, well, if you're on the path to financial freedom, then was it necessarily the best decision to take out a student loan? Because a lot of people kind of get stuck in that student loan uh, trap and, you know, you pursued the, your degree. I mean, how, how was that decision? Because I think that that's kind of controversial to financial freedom going into massive debt um, only to try then recover. I mean, most people would have just sat there and called it quits on the education, found a job, um, try build yourself up with some finance 
experiences and then carry on from there? I mean, what went through your mind and what made you decide to carry on the studies? So I, in my, sorry, I was, I was fortunate in the sense that the previous years, my parents had, had made plans and paid for it. But in my final year, when, you know, when they couldn't pay for it, it, I think it stuck with me. And I had to make the decision whether to stay in Cape Town or come back because I'm based in Joburg. And it was that time when I realized, because during holidays, I would do um, a peace job. So I would do, I would waitress, uh, I would do, I would be a cashier at spa, for example, to raise that money. And one thing that always stuck out for me was that I was not, um, not to sound, you know, to people that have those jobs, but I knew that that wasn't for me. I knew that I couldn't, you know, be a cashier for, for the rest of my life. And, and not do something with it. I think for me, I'd always had those, you know, ambitions to do something. And for me, the final year I calculated and I, and, and I took it upon myself to, to get a promotional job. Um, so to take care of my daily needs, I'll do the promotional job. And my, 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 my parents managed to sort of get a loan for me um, in that final year to sort of go back um, though I had to sort of do peace jobs to just maintain myself on a monthly basis. Mm. For me, it was the idea of at least if I have a degree in my hands, I would have those opportunities. I knew for myself that if I didn't have that degree, I didn't finish it, I wouldn't have those opportunities yeah. um, would be available for me, um, knowing that it was only my final year left to finish. So I took that that chance and it paid off because I then went on to do a graduate program with one of the banks. Even though I studied science, uh, I did a BSc in microbiology and biotech, I got hired as a graduate into the banking program. And that banking program for me opened so many doors that till today I'm, I'm grateful for because had I not had that degree, there was no way I was going to get that graduate development program. I was going to get onto that program. Yeah, and I think... Let's chat now a little bit about your graduate program. Um, we know a lot more about you and now financial freedom as well. So let's chat about your graduate program. I know that's going to lead us more into the business part of the business and beer. So tell us about your graduate program. Do you think it was worth it? Do you think that was the launch pad of what to come? You're obviously a co-founder of your own business now. So yeah, chat to us about that a bit. So when I obviously did my, my undergrad in BSc, I, I, in my final year, I decided I didn't want to be in the labs. So I applied for the graduate development program, which I got into one of the four major banks in South Africa. And, and part of the graduate program was finding out where you could find your feet. And my parents, having been entrepreneurs, and though it had failed, I, I, the, I had that entrepreneurial bug that I'd hit. So I wanted to work with financially distressed uh, businesses. And one of the rotations as part of the bank to place you into a job was going through different business units. And the one that stuck out for me was um, dealing with financially distressed businesses. So I got into business credit and I was looking after financially distressed businesses. And it was around 2008 when uh, things really got tough for, you know, financially for the economy at large. And there were a lot of financially distressed businesses that were, you know, either had expanded too fast or were just um, owner managed and the owners couldn't just keep up with both their uh, personal and their business um, loans at the time. And I, I would go in as my first job, I would look at the business, I'd look at the financials and, and try and assist and see if we can restructure the debt. So that really gave me a good exposure to, to businesses in general. 
But, but I mean, that must have been extremely tough because I think with a, a role like that, you almost, yeah, it's kind of like twofold. Number one, you either have to be super um, empathetic, or, I don't know if that is me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring a dictionary on the next one. Um, but you have to have like a lot of empathy or you actually have to be very ruthless. And I mean, just looking at your background now of coming from this background where, you know, you almost couldn't finish your degree because of financial reasons to now almost getting stuck into the deep end of dealing with business owners that actually don't have money to pay staffs. I mean, that must have been like, yeah, I mean, can you chat to us? That must have been like really traumatic because it's almost like you're reliving uh, this nightmare of oh, my final year all over again and actually seeing this impact that, that it has on other people. Yes, it was, it was definitely an emotional time and definitely a learning, a steep learning curve for me, if, if I must say so. Um, because you, you, you get, you know, business owners that um, at the time, most of them would get into financial distress because half the time they were in, in private banking or wealth banking, as well as running a business. So there were a lot of them were owner managed. So people felt like it was almost their baby. They couldn't distinguish between the owner and the, the, the business. So you'd get a lot of the, the personal staff getting into the business. And oh, wow. that, yeah. So immediately when the person was in financial distress or the business was in financial distress, they in their personal capacity will also be in financial distress. So it was almost taking a step back and having those conversations, those tough conversations with the owners and saying, okay, looking as an outsider, you know, um, still trying to help them and, and, and putting everything down and saying, you know, are you running your business as a business or as, you know, as you as an entity, are you, are you separating the two? Because in some of the cases, there wasn't that separation, which essentially got the businesses in trouble because there was no sort of um, boundary set. So in terms of if you're the business owner, you're getting so much as a salary and you're not taking more from the business than you should be. And we got a lot of those cases where people were not setting boundaries in terms of, you know, this is how much I get paid from the business. The rest is, you know, for the business all mixing up buying large purchases in their personal capacity as opposed to the business. business. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of um, discussions around that and saying, okay, you know, what are the things that we can take down? If, if for example, you had, I, I know one guy had six cars and, oh. and he was young, wow. he was a pharmacist. He didn't need six cars. So it was a discussion of saying, okay, you've got six cars. Do you really need six cars? And some of those were fancy cars. Do you really need those six cars or can we take it down to, you know, three cars so that, you, you know, have less installments and therefore you can put some of this money back into the business. So it was, it was a toss up between, so it was still small businesses. It wasn't large businesses. So there was also a lot of that that we had to work through. And I think the, the toughest thing with, with a small business, because a lot of the listeners that we have um, are kind of in that mix of running a small business or moving into like a mid-sized or large business. But I think the biggest thing is once you start getting into that gap of like a large business, um, it becomes a different ball game because the profits and stuff that you make generally, you know, get dispersed and it goes to shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. But like a small business, if the business is impacted, it's not just the business owner, it's the family, it's the, you know, extended family that's getting supported and stuff like that. And that kind of goes into, you know, maybe a separate little thing, but looking at your personal story of now you had to take these peace jobs and you knew that, you know, you, 
you're going to be a cashier, but you're getting money and you're empowering yourself and you're pushing through like this difficult time. Like for business owners, at what point do you kind of set the pride aside and say, well, you know, we understand that you want to do these peace jobs, but your business isn't actually making money um, because, you know, you kind of got stuck in that environment on your own thing. So, I mean, like, how do you advise people that are just not really doing well to say, like, look, actually call it a day or do you guys not even go there? So it's it's having those those tough conversations and 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 reassessing, you know, you, obviously when you go into business, you have you have a business idea, you have a business idea of what you think the ideal, what the plan is, how it will work out, and once that doesn't work out, um, you tend to to sort of you know you can either look at the situation and be frank and honest because it is your baby. Um, you started it, this is your idea that you're turning into reality. How do you then separate yourself um, and, and the business? And I think a lot of people sort of um, struggle with this aspect because it, it is your baby, um, but it needs to be a separate entity. What are the things that you put in place as you're building that separates you from the business? What are sort of the governance structures that you put in place um, to keep you sort of separate from the business? Who, who advises you? Is there, a, if it's a small business and you're growing, is that, do you have a business uh, mentor that you can bounce off ideas and things that can give you input who has done it before someone who's done the business before who's been there before to sort of guide you into separating yourself from the this baby that you love so much um and i think for in our in our own in my own malkia invest as a as an example um we as we came up with those three ladies of us who who met at the bank and we started this entity called malkia invest <clears throat> And we, we then brought on, uh, so we started, it was an investment, it's an investment company. So we brought on um, a few of our friends to become shareholders. And there was uh, 23 of us initially when we started. Um, and we are three ladies and then we constituted, as we as we going, we had this idea of black women coming together to start investing because we often hear that, you know, uh, black women don't have money. And we decided, you know what, with 2000 Rand a month, um, we could start this investment company. And, and we managed to raise each one contributing 2,000 rands as shareholder capital. We've managed to raise over 1.3 million rands. Sure. Um, and, and we came together and said, you know what, we wanted black women to, be, to participate in the economy. We didn't want handouts. We wanted to have mm. our own money and leverage off that money to then invest in various uh, um, parts of the economy so renewable energy mining and things like that so we sort of invited our friends and we were 26 of us and it was originally as the three co-founders and one of them uh, we had this idea that you know we're coming together we're putting money but turning the idea of this investment company into the reality took some time and getting some business mentors and, and putting certain governance structures in place so putting shareholder agreements we had to, you know, agree as, as you know, 26 women of what we wanted, yeah. what are sort of the things, when does someone leave? What is the penalty if you leave early as, you know, part of your contribution? We had to put a shareholders agreement. We had to put a board of directors together. So we now we have a board of directors amongst the shareholders 
who control things. We have someone who's, you know, taking care of the finances, making sure the, the annual financial statements are done. We have someone who's doing the business development, going out and looking for business opportunities for us to invest. We have someone who is involved in the operations and running the business. So I think for, for us, it was, you know, moving away from this baby or plan that we had and turning it into reality and giving it an opportunity to survive as a business and not our idea or our baby that we originally had as three founders. We also had shareholders and the board that keeps us accountable. Yeah, and I think that's really great. Uh, well done to you guys as well. I think that is a massive feat if you just look at, like you say, the 2000 Rand and getting all, all those shareholders to agree. I think it's, it really is amazing. And I think I 100% agree with you. I think we sometimes neglect the fact that putting certain things down on a piece of paper um, because it comes back to vouch in the long run. And especially as a small business owner myself, I think your accountability partner can be your accountant um, mm. just because the accountant sees the numbers. And it's exactly as Simon was saying before, the accountant is the one that can say to you at the end of the day, listen, our profits are dwindling, what's happening? They've almost, if we can call it, taken the emotional element out of your business and they're just looking at the numbers. And I think that's really important. Mm. Like you've said, you guys have now built an, an awesome nearly going medium or big business, we can say with all the board of directors and stuff. But as a small business owner, it's something as simple as having your accountant look at the numbers mm. and go from there. Um, and that can even be, it doesn't have to be your accountant, but like you said, a business mentor, it's something I've never really thought of before because I've always looked out for a personal mentor. How can someone mentor me? Mm. But I think from a business perspective, that's just looking at you and your business. Um, it's really been great, great advice, especially the whole baby thing, because I do treat it as, as my baby. But it's like try separate that. And it's it's one simple rule that I've made as well with shareholders in my business is I'm not allowed buying cars through the business. I'm not allowed buying houses or um, property through the business. And I think it's exactly that because then it separates Steve and his income and the business and its income. And mm. so... Yes, tell us a little bit now. We're obviously going through COVID and we, I don't even know. I hope we passed the halfway mark of, of going through this whole COVID. So explain to us a little bit about how you and your business have tackled COVID. I think it must have impacted you guys. You've mentioned that you have someone in charge of business development. So if you could, um, what have been a couple of lessons that you guys have learned so far from COVID on your business? And even if you wanted to on your personal I think it's about um, adjusting the, the plan with the changing environment because you usually have, you know, usually set your goals at the beginning of the year or the financial year of your business and you have this idea of this is how it's going to pan out. And then COVID, I think, just showed everyone that whatever plans you had, you, you literally had to stop and just reassess everything you had. And and for us, we, we were in the process of, of trying to to invest in a certain uh, business. And we, we really had to sit down and relook at our numbers because like I said, on a monthly basis, we have shareholders that put in 2000 Rand a month and some of them were hit financially. Um, I mean, 2000 Rand doesn't seem a lot, but when you've got, you know, a lot of the people are, uh, have families, um, it can be impacted. So the collection of that 2000 Rand from our shareholder contribution sort of, um, had a few had was impacted and when we had to consider that we wanted to raise further funding 
uh, during that time, um, we had to reassess and say, is this the right time to raise that funding? Um, or should we just wait a little bit and see how our collection rate in terms of being able to repay that loan um, goes along the way? So we had to relook at the investment and, and reassess whether, you know, we should go forward in terms of the funding that we wanted to raise. Could we take on such a debt during a time such as COVID? And our assessment at the time was, let's wait a little bit. Um, to raise that funding because we didn't want to take on this huge debt now, um, bearing in mind what's happening in the economy and the fact that our collection rate from our shareholders has sort of, you know, being impacted. So we had to readjust and, and sort of delay the, the, the funding or the acquisition of that particular entity that we wanted to become a shareholder, wanted to buy a portion of the, the business. Um, and, and, and it's sort of just reassessing, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so it was, for, for us, it was just uh, assessing whether we wanted to proceed with uh, getting that loan to leverage to, to sort of buy shareholding into that company. So we haven't totally shelved it, but we've, we've sort of just delayed it until we can raise a bit of more funding and then sort of go and get that loan to buy the shareholding that we want into that other business. And I, and I think you, you raised something which is critical for a lot of business owners out there, especially now in these uncertain times. Uh, you know, from my, my personal uh, experience working with a lot of uh, small to medium companies, I, I think uh, what happens is a lot of the time you kind of follow this like textbook um, type environment. So you read these business books, you know, I need my fixed goals, my fixed plans and, and stuff happens. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of businesses that actually haven't pivoted as the times have gone and uh, you know you kind of get stuck into this uh, how can I call it you know um, both you and Stephen are saying having these people around you business mentors accountability coaches and stuff like that but I think a lot of business owners don't have that uh, if you could call it and I'm going to put it in big inverted commas luxury uh, you kind of get mm -hmm. stuck into this little bubble that you're in um, and I think it's a very important lesson is understanding that there's a lot out there that can impact your business and there's certain things that you just ultimately do not have control over. Uh, we look at it in our business. There, there's factors that have impacted our clients that there's absolutely nothing nothing that anyone could have done that would have changed the outcome. It just, it is what it is. Um, but it's mm. then having the flexibility as a business owner to look at the environment that you're in pivoting the business and I know a lot of people hate the word pivot so I think it's exactly like you say readjusting the business strategy um, to say okay cool maybe it actually isn't the best time right now to to raise the investment and you know having if you could call it like a flexible business strategy and especially now in uncertain times because I think a lot of people don't even know what next week's going to, you know, bring, we were chatting with a client today uh, around this big thing of exchange rates and a lot of companies are impacted by um, the dollar exchange rates. And we actually in such, I don't even know what the word is, but um, volatile times with the exchange rate where, you know, the economy is sitting on a brink that anything that literally happens, a Zondo commission, um, when, you know, President Ramaphosa speaks, all of these things impact the exchange rates. And it's so difficult now to, you know, plan for three months ahead of time what's going to happen now. But having a business strategy where you can readjust, but also 
aligning yourself with your shareholders, with your board members. And, and I think that's what I take from, you know, with, with the people that you've surrounded yourself with, you're all on a common ground that you can readjust when the business, you know, when, when that necessity arises. No, definitely. Absolutely. And I think one of the things is that because there's five board members, different, you know, backgrounds, I think for, for us has been invaluable because each board member brings in a different, you know, industry or general overview yeah. that I did one person as an individual um, entrepreneur never would have had. But we have the luxury of, you know, having having that uh, board members and, and people that advise us that have got different, you know, overviews of certain industries and different experiences um, that really enrich our experience as a business. Because I'm just thinking for me, if I had been alone as, as a, you know, as starting this investment company it would have been very difficult. But having those other five minds or four other minds on the board that can sort of say, you know, have we considered this? Have we, have we thought about this in, in such a way? Or I know someone who we can sort of leverage, you know, that network. I think that network then becomes important when, when things like this hit because it's that network that you can call on and say, okay, I know someone in this industry who knows about what's happening here. Um, I can call on this one. And it's, it's those different experiences and different networks that we have that enrich the business and where it's going. And just being able to, you know, sort of adjust as you're going, um, even as, you know, we've had to, I mean, we've had to have board meetings over Zoom. We haven't been able to see each other, but, but those all have, you know, it's, it's the way we've had to change the way we do things. And I think it's, it's important if you're trying to survive to be able to pivot and decide and sort of ask yourself, what can you do with, you know, digital presence, you know, having board meetings via Zoom, uh, what can we do that doesn't require us to meet physically, but we can still, with that limited, you know, uh, still interact with, you know, our, our shareholders our, as a board, and how can we interact with, you know, with the businesses that we're trying to invest in, that we're looking up to, 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 to invest. Um, so that's, that's really been important for, for us. Yeah, I think, and it's also something I read the other day, which was so true that um, even just having a odd number board members is actually so important because the thing is, if there's a decision to get made, a decision has to go either or, you know, if there were six of you, three of you could be on one side, three of you could be on the other. So, yeah, I think that's um, even, I don't know if it was planned that way, but I even think something like that um, is so important. Um, S, thank you so much. Um, our time is up, but thank you so much for sharing with our listeners. Thank you so much for taking us through um, your study journey, your journey now that you're on to financial freedom, and also chatting to us about um, the business that you guys are currently building. So we wish you all the best, and um, we hope to have you on the podcast soon again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.